Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, December 24th, 2017, on the basis of Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. I don't know if you realize this, but there are people out there who are skeptical of Christmas. There was an article in the Washington Post this past Monday that reported some recent findings from some research that was done. It reported that while 90% of Americans celebrate Christmas in one way or another, just 57% of Americans believe that the central details of the Christmas story actually happened. Details like the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin, that Mary placed him in a manger, that angels announced his arrival to shepherds, that a special star guided wise men to come visit him. We're going to be talking specifically about that first one a little bit this morning, this idea of a virgin birth. And so in the days leading up to Christmas, I was kind of curious to see what people would be tweeting about that topic. So I took a look. Plenty of people sort of just write it off as nothing more than a made-up fairy tale. Others who dismiss it as mere superstition, clearly contrasted and refuted by science, One woman in particular made a comment that I found particularly offensive. She said, a virgin birth? I can buy that, but finding three wise men, that seems like a stretch. People are skeptical of Christmas, especially about this idea of a virgin birth. Maybe maybe some of those people are in the room this morning, maybe not. Maybe you've never questioned that idea for a moment in your life. Maybe you've sometimes wondered whether it could really be true. And so we're going to talk about that today. But before we do, believe it or not, there's another part of the Christmas story that is just as vital, just as central as the virgin birth, one that many more people in our world are skeptical of. In fact, it is one that I'm guessing that all of us here in the room today, at the very least, live and act as though we are skeptical of much of the time. In fact, truth be told, even though all of us love celebrating Christmas, the reality is that for the other 364 days a year, and maybe even on Christmas itself, we live and act as if this part of the Christmas story just is not true. Well, thankfully today we're going to meet the person who first heard this part of the Christmas story. We're going to find out that this person was the first person to be skeptical of this part of the Christmas story. And we're going to see from these verses in Luke what made this person skeptical, how God dealt with it, and ultimately how God made that skepticism go away. So who is the first skeptic of Christmas? Well, I think you've heard of her. Her name is Mary. Probably sounds a bit odd to refer to Mary as a skeptic of Christmas. In fact, if you're at all familiar with this story from Luke 1, where Gabriel appears to her and announces to her that she's going to have a baby, you maybe know that Mary is often commended for her great faith, and rightly so. By the end of this encounter, she is 100% all in on the plan that Gabriel has laid out for her. But not at first. At first, she's skeptical. Now, when I say that, it's also important to point out that there are different kinds of skepticism. There is the skepticism that says, here's what I know to be true. This thing over here doesn't fit in with what I know. And because obviously everything that I know is all that there is to know, obviously this thing over here can't possibly be true. 
That's the kind of skepticism we see a lot in our world today. But there's also the kind of skepticism that says, here's what I know to be true. This thing over here doesn't fit in with what I know to be true, but I am willing to admit for just a second that maybe, just maybe, I don't know all that there is to know. And so I'm willing to hear more. I'm willing to learn. There's a kind of skepticism that makes you closed-minded, and there's a kind of skepticism that makes you open-minded, and that's what we see from Mary. Now, one of the key questions that we need to answer is, what exactly is Mary skeptical of? Believe it or not, it is not primarily that she is going to be having a baby. No, we're told that when the angel Gabriel arrives, Gabriel says to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And then immediately, we're told, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Mary is troubled. Mary is trying to make sense of all of this. Something doesn't add up. And it's not that she's having a baby. It's not simply that she's talking to an angel. No, it's the angel's words. It's the announcement that she, Mary, a very young woman, living in Galilee, sort of the armpit of Israel at the time, living in Nazareth, a blink-and-you'll-miss-it kind of town, living in poverty, living in anonymity, that she had found favor with God. This is what Mary found so surprising. This is what the angel needed to repeat to her just to make sure she got the hint. This is what was so surprising to Mary that she would later sing about it, in fact. You're going to hear those words of Mary's song known as the Magnificat in a little bit. When you do, pay close attention. Because Mary does not say, my soul will magnify the Lord because he has circumvented the normal biological laws of human reproduction and has enabled me to conceive a child even though I am a virgin. I'm not sure how well that would go to music. No, Mary says, my soul will magnify the Lord because he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. The favor of God is the surprise And the favor of God is what causes her, at first, to be skeptical. We have a word in our English language that we use for the word that's translated favor here in Luke chapter 1. It's the word grace. Grace is sort of like the all-encompassing operating principle that governs each and everything that God does as he interacts with human beings. It is sort of like the fuel that the engine of God's kingdom runs on. It is the operating system that governs the computer. It permeates each and every aspect of God's dealings with us. It's sort of like gravity. It's the glue that holds everything together. And it is the exact opposite of the operating principle on which our world runs. Our world says, might makes right. The strong will survive. You need to go out and get Yours. The world tells us that greatness is found in things like success and wealth and fame and power. But grace says just the opposite. Grace says that God chooses the outcast, that God exalts the humble, that he rewards the poor, that strength is found in weakness and that greatness is found in lowliness. 
Grace is not just one click off on the dial from the way that our world operates. It is the complete opposite. It is like an alien life form from another galaxy. It is the exact opposite of the way in which our world runs. And so it's no surprise that very often we are skeptical of it. Are you skeptical of God's grace? As Christians, we are supposed to be all about grace, right? It's one of our favorite words. But I think this is what can sometimes happen. We kind of isolate God's grace to just this one facet of our relationship with him. Grace is what prompts God to send his son into the world to be our savior, to live and to die for us so that our sins can be forgiven and so that one day we can go to heaven. All of that, of course, is absolutely true, and it is only by God's grace. But what can easily happen is we take that wonderful news and we sort of set it up on the shelf for safekeeping right next to that little elf that's been sitting there for the past month, and then we go out into the world looking for things like happiness and fulfillment and purpose for our lives and acceptance from other people, and we chase after those things following the principles on which our world runs, looking for those things in wealth and fame and popularity and success. Grace isn't just how God deals with us in that one specific aspect. Grace permeates everything in God's dealing with us. And again, it's no reason, it's no wonder that so often we are skeptical because it's so contrary to our nature. It's so contrary to how our world operates. But it does mean that we're sort of in trouble. See, if we don't get over this skepticism, we're really going to miss some big things. We are going to be out there running at 65 miles an hour, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, chasing after the deepest desires of our heart, following the principles that our world operates by. And in the meantime, we are going to completely miss what God is really up to, what God is really doing, where God really can be found. Martin Luther had a a fascinating and striking way of putting this. He said, How completely does God spurn that which is high? We strive madly and frantically after vain heights so that God might not see us in the depths, the only place where he looks. The world tells us that the last place we would ever want to be found is the depths. Grace tells us that is the only place where God looks. So how do we get over this skepticism? Well, thankfully, God is up to the task. Gabriel came to Mary not just to announce that she had found favor with God. Gabriel came to announce how that favor would manifest itself. She was going to have a child. And Mary was skeptical of that part, too. But again, not in the kind of way that caused her to say, well, that can't possibly be, but in the kind of way that caused her to ask, how can this be? And so Gabriel explained more. Yes, this would, in fact, be a miracle. Yes, God would, in fact, be circumventing the normal biological laws of human reproduction. The child would be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the child to which she would give birth would be the Son of God. Now, it is important that we don't miss the connection between the two. See, it is so easy for us to get caught up in in the virgin birth thing and and forget completely about what came before it. 
to get so preoccupied with whether or not God really can violate the biological laws of nature, forgetting all the while that he had already violated laws that were just as firm, just as fixed, just as consistent. God is intervening in our world with an operating principle that is the exact opposite of the way the world normally works. And so when God deals with us in a way that the world has never before seen, why should we be surprised that along the way he does some things that have never before been seen? Why don't you need to be skeptical of grace? Why can you trust God when he says that your sins are forgiven, that you're a child of God, that you are destined for glory? Why can you trust God when he says that it's okay to be weak and humble and lowly, that it's okay to get trampled on and taken advantage of in our world, that in that place God will not lose track of you. In fact, it is in that place that God will find you, that he will choose you, that he will use you, and that he will lift you up. Why can you be confident of those things? Because as God deals with us in seemingly impossible ways, he also has proven his ability to do seemingly impossible things. Things like virgins having children. So if only we could know that that's how it really happened. That this virgin birth thing really is real. You know, of all the miracles that are described in the Bible, the virgin birth kind of gets the most attention from skeptics and for, re- for good reason. It's kind of an easy target. See, the claim of a virgin birth is a difficult thing to dispute, which kind of cheapens it as a claim. Really, any woman today could make the same claim, could claim that the child she's given birth to has no human father. And what do you say other than that? That's not how it normally works. Just as another example, let's say I said that last night I had an encounter with an alien from a distant galaxy. No one was around. No one else saw it. But believe me, it really happened. There's nothing you could really say to dispute me on that, but I'm willing to bet that you would not believe me for one second. So how do we know when the claim is made that a child has a mother but no human father that that claim is actually true? Well, Gabriel had more to say to Mary. Gabriel didn't simply stop with the announcement that she would have a son Gabriel went on to say, Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Gabriel connects the miracle that he has just announced to another miracle that is going to happen. Now, some people might say, well, a woman who's a little bit older having a child What's the big deal? Sure, maybe it's a little bit out of the ordinary, but it's certainly not miraculous. Well, realize that with Zechariah and Elizabeth and their baby, John, this was no 40 is the new 30 kind of thing. Both of them were very, very old, and past the age of childbearing is past the age of childbearing. This is no less miraculous than Mary's conception was. And yet one thing made it different. In contrast with Mary's claim, this birth was a little bit more difficult to just make up. If you've got, say, an 80-year-old woman who is having a child, you've got some explaining to do. 
you've got some answers to provide. Clearly something supernatural and miraculous is going on here. And so it is no wonder that God, through Gabriel, connects the miracle that would take place with Mary to the miracle that would take place with Elizabeth. And it is no wonder that immediately after receiving this announcement, Mary went to Elizabeth to see for herself that what the Lord said was true. I'm going to take this a step further. One of the other things that's interesting about the virgin birth is how little it is mentioned in the New Testament. We don't exactly get the impression that Mary and Joseph went out and sort of advertised this publicly to everyone. I don't think it was on the birth announcement that they sent when Jesus finally arrived. It's a boy, by the way. I'm a virgin. From everything that we read in the Gospels, Jesus himself never talked about it. In fact, as he began his public ministry as an adult, we see that it's just common knowledge. It's just a natural assumption that he is the son of both Mary and Joseph. And even when that assumption is made in front of Jesus, never once does he go out of his way to correct anyone. From everything that we read, for all we know, the very first time that Mary really talked about this encounter with anyone publicly was when she sat down to be interviewed for this book. Luke tells us, that that's how he wrote his gospel, that he did so with careful investigation, including interviewing key figures like Mary. But by the time Mary sat down with Luke to talk about this encounter with Gabriel, a lot of things had changed. Not only had the miracle with Elizabeth taken place, but another miracle had taken place too. A miracle no less believable, but a miracle that was witnessed by hundreds of people, attested to by thousands, and had already spread throughout the entire Mediterranean world, that very same son that she had given birth to had risen from the dead. So no, babies don't often come out of virgin wombs, but neither do once dead men leave behind empty tombs. God can handle our skepticism whether that's the skepticism that doubts whether he can really violate the laws of nature or whether it's the skepticism that doubts that he really does deal with us in grace. And so when he announces that grace to you, when he tells you, you are forgiven, you are his child, you are destined for glory, when he tells you that greatness is found in lowliness, Strength is found in weakness. Victory is found in defeat. Whenever God announces to you his grace, you can know that what Gabriel said to Mary is absolutely true. That no word of God will ever fail. And you can say with Mary, may your word to me be fulfilled. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org. 